Welcome to the 14th episode of Tokyo Alumni Podcast. Today, we have our youngest guest. She graduated ASIJ in 2011. She then went on to Kalamazoo College, where she earned a bachelor's in economics. Her senior year at ASIJ included the Tohoku earthquake. She decided to do her college thesis on the economic viability of denuclearization in the Japanese energy industry. She then worked in various nonprofits, including a year of AmeriCorps in Michigan. Two years ago, she switched gears to work with YouTube channel Gems on VHS. She then found her passion working in the music industry and has been touring with bands and doing promotional photography for artists full-time. She currently tours with the artist Soccer Mommy. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Monica. Hi, thanks for having me. So we have our youngest guest today, um, and... 2011, that was some year to be in Japan. And I think that's the topic I want to touch upon first. I wasn't there. Um, I think a lot of other people weren't there either. So what was it like being at ASIJ when the Tohoku earthquake struck that spring of 2011? And what was ASIJ like afterwards? Because from what I hear, it changed a bit. Yeah, I don't think I'll ever forget the actual moment that it happened. I mean, it was... 246, which I don't know if there's still the same schedule. Uh, you end school at 302. Um, but I remember there's only 15 minutes left of school. And I think that I'm glad that we were still in our classrooms because so many people were able to kind of follow the, the prescripted uh, actions that you would normally take in an earthquake. But it was intense. We I, I remember being in one of the, um, it was the lower classroom, um, I think it was a science room. Uh, I had a teacher that was semi-new to Japan, I remember, because she was very nervous for it, and we kind of, I think we were the only classroom that actually ended up leaving the building before the shaking stopped, which was not not what you're supposed to do. Um, but eight hour long ride home after that, um, I lived in Rapongi, being on the bus and watching people walk by in droves to go home because the trains weren't running with helmets on. It was surreal. And I remember on that bus ride home being on my flip phone and somehow I could get Facebook, I guess, at that time. Uh, and somebody posting about the something being wrong with Fukushima and it was totally vague. Nobody knew what was happening, but that didn't really come about with more details until the next day. But that was definitely the dramatic part of it all. Once, you know, you get home and you check on, you know, your mom and your dog and all the siblings come back together, things seemed pretty normal. But then the next day, once we heard about Fukushima, that was really the time that we didn't know what was going to happen. And I actually thought it was really interesting. My dad was traveling at the time, he was in China, and we were able to call him, and he was able to call us, but we weren't able to make any calls within Japan because um, all the cell towers were blocked so that emergency crews could use them. So we were able to talk to my mom by calling my dad in China, and then he would call her, and so. It was really interesting. Yeah, that's a crazy time to be in Japan. I, I actually, I was living in Japan, but um, I happened to be away for two weeks, perfectly overlapped with the oh. earthquake. Yeah, so I actually never really was there um, when it happened or, you know, the weeks after. So by the time I returned, 
it was kind of like uh, quite a bit, at least it settled. Um, so you move on to um, the south, south after Kalamazoo in Michigan. How was that change? Because when you look at those maps of where ASIJ or where international school alums, you know, St. Mary's, St. Saint, et cetera, go to, it's usually pretty concentrated on the coast, right? West coast, east coast, or the UK, Australia, and so on. Not many uh, live in the south like you do. So what has that been like um, shifting from, you know, living in Japan for so many years growing up to now living in Nashville, Tennessee? Yeah, I, I don't think I would have been able to do it if I didn't land in Michigan first. We'll say that because Michigan kind of allowed me to, I mean, it was, it was a culture shock for sure. Um, even though I'm a white American, I still, it was shockingly different. But I think that Michigan kind of um, made a little bit of a buffer and allowed me to kind of become a new version of myself and to expand my mind a little bit to how things operated in America and in the Midwest. Then, I mean, Michigan is just, has been, in my experience, has been not exactly more diverse, but less it is more assimilated between different races and different cultures than I find in Nashville. And Nashville is a liberal bubble in the South, but it's still, I find it so segregated. It's very unfortunate because there's so much culture here, but it ends up being lots of pockets of different kinds of cultures. Um, I am white, so I don't experience all of it that I could be experiencing it if I was, if I was any type of minority. So that, that's an important distinction to make that if when I go on a vacation to like the Florida and Alabama border on the beach, we, we see a lot of Confederate flags and we hear some hate speech and just ignorance, but we don't face the prejudice that we would if, if we looked differently. So you mentioned how um, Nashville is sort of this bubble of, you know, a, a more liberal part of the South. Would you, I guess, very direct question sort of would be if someone was not white, so especially, you know, where we both went to school, they're from Asia, you know, they're half Asian or they're, they're Asian or they're, they're just basically not white. Do you think life is a bit more difficult living, not just in the South, but in living in Nashville in comparison to the coast? Or do you think Nashville is liberal enough of a bubble that if you stayed within Nashville, you wouldn't meet, you know, maybe the similar challenges you would living outside of Nashville? I think it, if you're in Nashville as a minority, um, I can't speak exactly to minorities' experiences, but I think that you will encounter it sometimes. Um, but it really happens a lot when, you know, you s happen to interact with somebody who, for example, Broadway is the biggest tourist destination of Nashville. It's like, a, it's kind of like Rapongi Dori or something. Like it's it's wild and it's, a lot of cowboy boots and, you know, tip jars and live music and swing dancing. And people from rural areas of the South are attracted to that area. And if you're there, then you're probably going to encounter maybe some prejudice. I wouldn't say it's dangerous, but 
I also wouldn't rule out not um, being targeted or singled out in some way because you look different because this is a very, it's a white Southern city. Um, though it's mm. liberal, it is still the South. Yeah, it's definitely fascinating. The, these cities, um, you know, that aren't on the coast, especially the ones that have been thriving, like where you are, uh, Kansas City, and I think New Orleans or New Orleans, right in Forbes, how they're all thriving because they are much easier to live in, right, economically speaking, in comparison to New York, San Francisco. But, you know, as you alluded to, it's this sort of difficult balance, right? Of There are there are these sort of liberal sanctuaries uh, within these very conservative parts of the states and maybe. So yeah, on that note, um, you've worked in a variety of industries, right? You've worked for YouTube channels, you've done the editing, post-production, you've traveled around with artists, you've worked for nonprofits. When it comes to the music industry, um, how is it being, you know, a young woman in the music industry today? And um, what, it, what are the day-to-day tasks like? And is it an industry you'd recommend to people? If so, what type of person do you think would thrive in the music industry? Mm. I, that's good, good questions. The, the music industry is a really vibrant, challenging, but really fun area to be in. And I think that I've found a lot of unique roles within it and it's so vast that you can't really know exactly what you're getting into until you start and you start unraveling a little bit of of each different role it kind of bleeds into other roles and allows you to take new opportunities um so that's kind of what happened to me i uh was getting to the point with my nonprofit career that i realized it might not be what I wanted, um, or I just wasn't thrilled about it. I I liked working for the organizations that I did, but there was something missing, um, some type of passion. So I ended up quitting for with my animal rescue job, and then I quickly found an opportunity with one of my friends that had a he. Him and um, another guy own a uh, kind of a dual company that is half a small production company that does commercial and music-oriented work, and then half of it does original content for YouTube channel. And um, the YouTube channel was based in uh, folk music, um, and it's called Gems on VHS, and they do really great work. That was kind of a jumping off point for me because I realized that I could use a lot of the skills that I developed working in a small nonprofit environment and doing many different jobs. I could apply that to a more creative environment. And that kind of showed me that I can be, I can be a supportive role to creatives is really what I found out. And um, there's a lot of different, things that you can do being a support role for other artists if you decide not to be an artist. Um, And for a year and a half, I worked at the YouTube channel and learned a lot about YouTube. It was really fascinating. Through that, I realized that I can kind of be like a background figure in helping artists 
achieve the most out of their art and really concentrate on what they do best. It's not that different than working in the in in other industries as a woman. Um, mm. I had uh, a friend who is actually a traveling photographer and um, goes on tour with with bands and was told by someone looking to take her out with a bigger band that mm. management was nervous about putting a female single photographer with four male single men um, mm. in a traveling scenario when it's, it's a professional role. And I think that sometimes people forget that, that mm. they are professionals and it's not, um, it's not about, you know, finding, <laughs> finding a husband on the road or something like that. Um, I'm not sure what that person was insinuating, but it, um, there, there are, are probably the same things that come up in the music industry as a woman as with other roles, I would say. Yeah. Um, that, that's, that's quite sinister. Um, but sadly it doesn't sound surprising that sometimes these decisions are made. Um, especially when it comes to, um, I don't know if the music industry is any different than other industries, but my perception of it is that it, it does seem to be very much male dominated uh, when we look at, it, especially like not just music, but I was thinking, I guess, entertainment. I mean, obviously the Harvey Weinstein thing was quite big. Especially as a woman artist, you're not taken seriously. And I don't have direct experiences with this, but so often when you know a, a band with female and male members loads in all of their gear they automatically go to the men and ask about you know sound preferences and things that like are technical and you know the big questions and they totally skip over the the female um members of the band uh i often am asked when I'm, so I, I, I go on tour with bands and I, I sell merch, I take photos, I fill different roles for different bands, but mm. I have been asked multiple times who I'm dating in the band um, mm. instead of, you know, just being assumed that I work there um, because that's what I'm doing at the merch table is selling merch. I'm not just there for fun. I've had somebody ask me when... I, I had a photo at Red Rocks um, because we went on tour there last year and somebody asked why I went and I said that I was, I was touring with a band. said, were you just touring for fun instead of assuming that I worked with a band? It's, uh-huh. I think it, it's a lot of just assuming that women, it's kind of just a mentally erasing women from the picture of the music industry. There's actually a number of roles that are really dominated by men um lighting sound things that are a lot of technical technically related roles on tour are very dominated by men and the women who are in them have to just answer a lot of dumb questions and people assuming that they don't know what they're doing I was unaware of that, yeah, in the music industry. And sort of rewinding back to what we were saying earlier about YouTube, 
Um, I think especially, you know, our generation, uh, as well as the so the millennials and the Gen Z's, YouTube is, is huge. I still feel like it hasn't been totally tapped in by the big, you know, broadcasters. And, and we're beginning to see it happening now with uh, Joe Rogan's uh, podcast, right? It's a hundred million dollar contract with Spotify. When you were working on the production side of, of YouTube, was there anything that you noticed that maybe uh, you mentioned earlier about the child? you know, intended for children or not. Are there any other like tips you would have for people making videos or just in general, like information you found out about YouTube while you were on the production side of things? Sure. Um, I actually, the most relevant things for me that I think of right now are COVID related when um, I actually ended up quitting the job at um, uh, the YouTube channel and, uh, I, I told them a month, um, ahead of time that I wanted to leave and I was ready to go on tour with Soccer Mommy. Um, I wanted to take more opportunities, uh, that let me travel more instead of being, being home and working a full hour, you know, office job type thing. When I did that, it happened to be, right before COVID kind of annihilated the music industry. And um, so I left that position at a very bad time <laughs> uh, because our, all of our tours canceled, um, kind of like a wave washed over the entire city. All of my friends go on tour and we've all found out at the same time that our jobs were just gone. Um, but YouTube, especially, you would think that that is something that a pandemic can survive easily, that people who make original content for YouTube will be able to really operate as usual as long as they can film. But YouTube revenue is based on, um, an ad bidding system. And when the economy tanks, then nobody wants to buy ads. And when uncertainty is high, nobody wants to buy ads. And therefore, your views might go up. Like in the case of Gems, we have, we, they have tons, tons more views because people are sitting at home just consuming media. But their revenue ended up just tanking because income per view can get halved or even like a it's a minuscule portion of what you were getting before even though people are watching more ads so i i will say that youtube as a avenue for getting your art out there and making money and really relying on as a job is if you can create a following it's amazing but you can lose it very quickly you can lose it due to covid or you can lose it due to um, a scandal with somebody that you work with. So you really have to be confident in that the people that you're work, working with are good people or else, you know, it will, it will crumble. Well, and you, you touched upon COVID-19, so wiping out uh, less ads on YouTube. When it comes to COVID-19 in the music industry, um, you know, the, the government, the U.S. government sent out $1,200 to everyone. Uh, which is obviously just not not much when you compare it to places like Canada. What has been done at a federal or state or local level for artists around the country 
because um, I imagine, especially for artists who are you know rely on being on the road, like what do they do? And I know there's no immediate clear cut answer, but what what does the forecast look like? Are people starting to prep for something to come in the fall, or are artists really just sort of hunkering down and waiting for 2021? I, I would say the quick answer is the latter. I think people are really hunkering down and waiting potentially for a long time. It's, it's not just a portion of musicians that rely on tour for income. It's everybody that relies on tour for income. That is really, it's rare that somebody makes enough money without touring um, to just be able to pivot away from the touring cycle. Uh, and it's I not being in a musician role, but being in a support role for touring, I, I can't pivot because the work is so based on being present and having a lot of people around you um, being indoors. Yeah, uh, it's touring. It's not just about the musicians personally making money, but it's also music industry giants like um, the record labels and the management companies. The record labels make a majority of their money from touring as well. And they, if, if touring doesn't exist, then they can't pay creatives to make promotional content. They don't, they want to save enough money, um, you know, to keep their, their lights on rather than video production company that I worked at normally during this time would be music videos, EPKs, live sessions. Um, and there's none of that because the record labels can't afford to be buying things that aren't directly bringing in income. Um, and a lot of times people who tour, they make the majority of their money for the year on these, these few months that they tour. I mean, that's how, a lot of that's how my plan typically works is I make a money in one month enough money in one month that pays for three or four months of my life so without it it's trying to figure out how Nashville can sustain so many artists that are out of work it's kind of mm. funny all of us that you know tour um, we it's amazing that we're all in the same city at the same time. So many times we see somebody out and we're like, wow, you just got back or, oh, you're about to leave. Or some, so many times people are not available to be around each other. And now everybody's here and they're kind of competing for the small number of service industry jobs that could uh, sustain them until the next tour cycle is able to happen. Um, the next tour that I've been talking about um, with a band is in April of 2021. So that is a long time from now. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's almost a year from now. And, um, you know, unlike the airline industries, hotel industries that were hit hard, but were given pretty uh, generous bailouts by by the federal government, when it comes to the arts, it's kind of difficult because it's not like there's one, you know, or just like five big companies everyone works for. Right. And I think that the expansion of unemployment benefits to include self-employed people 
has helped a lot, but it's still, the system is so overwhelmed. I was lucky in that I was able to get in there early on, um, but it only goes to, you know, a certain date and then it's, then it's done. Um, and I'll have to figure it out after that. But you're right that it's, it's hard to even ask the government to do something when you don't have a specific way of helping the community besides just letting us sell our art again. Um, there's not really a central way to divvy up any type of resources. All right. So as we wrap up this conversation, um, at the end, I like to sort of pass along the uh, mic to the guest in regards to what is to come in their lives uh, next few months, next few years. Uh, so yeah, please update us with what is to come. Just because COVID has made things so interesting, um, I really am going to be focusing on ways to um, do photography and uh, help people out that doesn't require traveling. Um, so it'll be really interesting to figure out. I had an, a view of my life that included touring on a schedule that really filled up throughout the year and doing being very busy when I was home. Um, and now I've been able to settle and really expand a lot of my art techniques and really get better at um, some of the things that um, I was just rushing through before. But I, I will at some point have to find a way to make it sustainable and really make a lifestyle out of it without without traveling and touring. So that's the next challenge. And I'm excited for it. Um, I'm nervous, but I think it really, or at least it will bring out the fight that I have to, to keep doing what I'm doing, to keep being inspired by artists, um, even though we are really having a hard time right now. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a crazy time in, for everyone, but especially the art industry, music industry. And, and I, hope, I hope things get better. And um, yeah, it's, it was, it was nice talking to you today. And um, I don't have any plans to go to Nashville. And I don't think you have any plans to go to Korea. But who knows, who knows, maybe somewhere on the globe. I'll see you when I see you. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, uh, thank you for being on. And um, yeah, see you around. Goodbye. Thank you.